You're listening to Underground History on Jefferson Exchange, a collaboration between JPR and the Southern Oregon University Laboratory of Anthropology, or like we like to say, SULA. I'm your host, Chelsea Rose, and each month we take a deep dive into little-known aspects of history in Oregon and beyond. Today I'm joined by Rosie Grant, gravestone archivist who has been documenting recipes memorialized on headstones. And Rosie, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much. Great to be here. Yeah, so to get us started, how on earth did you discover that this was a thing? And when did this thing kind of take over your life? <laughs> um, great questions. Um, I discovered this was a thing uh, basically a little over a year ago. I was interning at a cemetery in um, Washington, D.C. I was just in the digital archives program, and I was studying uh, to get my library science master's degree at the University of Maryland. And I was taking a class basically on social networks, how all that works. And um, because of this class, we had to start like a TikTok account. So I was TikToking about cemeteries and gravestones. And that's how I heard about the first one, which was the grave of Naomi Odessa Miller Dawson in Brooklyn, New York. And she has a spritz cookie on her gravestone. And then while learning more about Naomi, I learned that there were other people, mostly women, who also had it on their gravestone. So, yeah, it definitely took over my life basically starting last October. And I keep thinking, I'm like, oh, this is the last gravestone every time a new one pops up. And there keeps being more out there. Oh, my gosh, that's so cool. So you actually are a legit archivist, like a professional archivist. And this just happens to be your your archive, I guess, the cemeteries across the U.S. Yeah, in a weird way. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> that's so cool. So, you know, as an archaeologist, I'm used to dealing with stuff much older, but it seems like a lot of the headstones that you're finding these recipes on are like mid to late 20th century. Is that right? Or what's kind of the time yeah. frame? Yeah, exactly. They're generally pretty, pretty recent. The newest one being in 2019 that I've come across and the oldest one just being in 1994. So these are all pretty recent gravestones. Wow. And, and so is there like a, somebody that like pioneered this? Like, have you found the oldest one and then other people heard of it? Or do you think it's kind of like just coincidence that people across the U.S. are like, I love this recipe so much, I'm going to put it on my headstone? Yeah, I think it's exactly that, the latter. Like, uh, it seems to be, I mean, this is just my instance interning at Congressional, was Christians in general, especially in North America, are getting a lot more personalized. And so that could look like, if anything, that's the trend of, like, whatever is important to you, you put it on your gravestone, and that could be dogs, your hobbies, your activities. And so for a number of People, it was a particular recipe they were known for. Um, of the families that I've talked to, they all were not aware that there were others out there. But, you know, when they're coming to plan the celebration of their person um, and memorialize that on a gravestone, they're like, what is this person, what are they known for? And it was a very particular recipe. I love that. I love that. So you have been working with the families. That's interesting because, you know, a lot of times people have like the secret family recipe that, you know, the thing is like, <laughs> I'm going to take it to my grave. And this is like a very different interpretation of that. Like they're taking it to their grave, but they're sharing it. Not like it's not <laughs> secret forever. <laughs> yeah, no, it's exactly that. I mean, everyone seems to be a little bit different. Like Naomi, the, the spritz cookie in Brooklyn, her particular recipe was a very like careful she never told anyone in her lifetime what the recipe was people would ask for it they love these spritz cookies and it was when it was planning her gravestone her son recommended why don't we put your you know precious recipe on it and at first she wasn't 
uh, like she said no. She was like, no, this is my secret recipe. Um, and then eventually she came around and gave the ingredients. It doesn't even have the instructions. So the instructions are still secret. Um, versus other people, they were like, yeah, this is the thing. I talked to this one woman who's actually still alive um, named Peggy Neal. She's, her gravestone is in Arkansas. Um, she's still alive and well, but when she was planning it out with her husband who passed away, she was like, everyone knew that this is the cookie I made. Like my kids' teachers would request it. I would bring it to gatherings, and I felt really proud of that. And so that's why she decided to put on her gravestone. I love that, and I, that's really interesting about sometimes it's the ingredients but not the instructions because sometimes mm-hmm. there is like a literal – space issue. You can only put so much text in there. But I bet, too, um, so, you know, confession, I tried one of these recipes last night. I tried the recipe for fudge. Oh, my gosh. How did it go? Well, you know, I have never made fudge before, and I was like, this one looks super easy. I I love carrot cake, and I wanted to make that one, but Mm -hmm. I have a nut allergy, and I thought, Altering a recipe mm. on a headstone is a recipe for being haunted. So I was like, I better not go there. So I tried the, the fudge and um, I had to like in real time while I'm stirring like hot sugar and milk, had to Google like what is soft boil stage and what is what does this mean? Yeah. All these because there isn't really clear instructions. So I, you know, in my mind, I was thinking that the family had seen her make this so many times that they just needed the prompts, but they knew you know, the stages and, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I don't know. So it, I'm not a great baker, and I think we can add <laughs> fudge maker to that list. <laughs> but it was my first oh, attempt, yeah. and it's hard. You know, chocolate, butter, milk, and sugar is edible no matter what. But I'm sure Kay oh, yeah. made it much better. <laughs> oh, I, I'm laughing that you picked the fudge because that one has given me the most trouble. I've probably <laughs> oh, remade it the most times. Someone even was like, oh, it's because, like, I mean, I've been crowdsourcing a lot of these on TikTok of, like, I'll make it and all these people weigh in of, like, oh, this is how my family makes it. And a lot of people were like, oh, it says two squares of chocolate, but it doesn't say how big the squares are. So they're like, you should probably use more chocolate. And um, I actually visited Kay's uh, gravestone in Utah, and when I went there, I also had made a pretty terrible rendition of the fudge. I mean, it was still chocolate and sugar, and so it was great. But we met another family that was also not related to her that had made the fudge properly and brought it to the grave, and they were enjoying it there. So we traded fudge. Oh, Theirs I love was it. so much better than mine. And oh, they were like, my yeah, gosh. we used, like, a candy thermometer, and I was like, dang, you all are. You got me beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to Google what is two squares of chocolate because the chocolate <laughs> that I use, the baking chocolate, I was like, this cannot be it. So one yeah, thing exactly. I said said one square is an ounce, but I still don't think that was enough. Yeah, I think it's, that was been my problem, too. And someone was like, yeah, you should get a candy thermometer. And I was like, you know what? Why not? I bought a, a cookie press. I bought an ice cream maker just trying to make these recipes. So a thermometer makes sense, too. Yeah, you're getting all the gear. Um, you're listening to Underground History on JPR. I'm Chelsea Rose, and my guest today is Rosie Grant, historian, chef, archivist, and headstone recipe curator. So, um yeah, I, you know, what kind of, you know, you talked a little bit about people having these recipes and putting it on there. And, you know, now there's like photos and dog pictures and all that stuff. But, you know, food is so tied in with memory and family and love. And it's just, you know, it looks like in addition to headstone recipes, you've also been kind of collecting other recipes associated with like memorials and, and lost loved ones. Is that right? Yeah, I'm starting to expand a little bit just because I only have about 20 recipes and gravestones, and I do exactly that. Food and death are so tied together. 
Um, I just finished the book Dying to Eat by Professor Candy Can, and she she talks a lot about this of, like, food and memory and nostalgia. And, like, you know, when you, like, are grieving someone and you miss someone who's Mm -hmm. no longer here, for me, I'm, like, craving the food that I had with them, the mealtimes that I had with them. If they, like, you know, had, for my grandmother, one in particular, she made a yellow cake. And so whenever I miss her, I want to eat her yellow cake that she made for all my birthdays. And so, yeah, expanding it into, like, food and memory in general. I, for Christmas, got a lot of, like, funerary cookbooks, my poor family and the my wish list on Christmas. Um, but there's a lot of, like, I, I mean, for me, I've been really interested in the Texas sheet cake, which is very popular. And there's different types of North American sheet cakes, which is feeds a lot of people. It's very comforting. It's... Um, it can sit out on a table for a long time. So if like if people are coming in and out of a house to visit the family, um, it can sit out all day. So things like that are just really interesting to me right now. Yeah. And most of these recipes that are either on headstones or like associated with this, with death and stuff, they, they tend to be sweet. Is that right? Are you finding many yeah. that are savory? Generally, almost all of them have been sweet. Almost all baked goods. Um, two have been, so there's one woman in Iowa who she has um, a cheese dip recipe on hers, which is excellent. And then there's another woman in Texas, which is technically not a gravestone recipe. Her gravestone just says she made the best meatloaf. But the cemetery sent me the cookbook uh, with her, like from their archives, they have her actual meatloaf recipe. So I'm counting it just because it's another savory dish. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the recipes have been baked good. Wow. So they actually, it's someone had the foresight to be like, we're noting this, but here cemetery, you know, headquarters or whatever, have this recipe on file for people to ask. Is that kind of how that happened? So basically they did a, um, a lot of cemeteries are struggling. It's a tough business model for a cemetery. You're basically just waiting for people to die. And even though like price of a gravestone is pretty steep for a lot of people. um, But the idea of continued maintenance of a cemetery is difficult so a lot of cemeteries have been trying to look into alternative models the one that i interned at was was definitely the case of this of how do we how do we maintain the expensive just keeping the land and like basic yard work and so they made a cookbook of that was connected to their cemetery specifically and beverly this is the woman who uh, they have her meatloaf recipe i believe they asked her family for it um they were local in the community i think beverly was somewhat involved with like the local societies and so they both have her recipe and then other people who are either volunteers with the cemetery historians or just people in their community and then yeah they sold the cookbook uh just to earn money to preserve the cemetery oh that's so cool yeah i've heard about historical societies doing like you know some pioneers sourdough bread or whatever but that's that's yeah. really cool to think about kind of community, you know, cherished community recipes, like, across the ages. Like, you know, I like yeah. that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And as far as demographics go, you said it tends to be women. Are there men that have had um, a recipe on their headstone? Yeah, only two. So there's one gentleman named John uh, who's the only person in North America. He's one of the most recent ones, actually. Uh, he was a funeral director, and he is buried not too far from St. Louis, uh, then he had a mint brownie recipe. And then there's one other gentleman. So there's two in Israel. The only two that aren't in the U.S. that I'm aware of are uh, in different places in Israel. And so there was a gentleman who was a kibbutz chef. And his was actually kind of savory almost. It was like a yeast bread. Um, and so that's the other 
guy that I know about. And yeah, the rest have been women. And so you, you're looking international. So do you just have people that are now contacting you like, hey, I found this. You should come check it out. Yeah. I mean, I've been very lucky with just like the publicity this has gotten, uh, for better or worse, just because <laughs> I mean, in the beginning, this truly did start out as kind of like a homework assignment. And now it's just kind of blown into this thing. And then also like it's on the, that like kind of curiosity of like you find two, three, four, and then you're like, wow, are there more out there? And they keep growing. So at this point, yeah, families have started reaching out being like, oh, my mother-in-law had the carrot cake or I live in Willis, California, and I walk past the cemetery every day and saw this. The two that are in Israel, actually, and this is how I even heard about this very beginning to hear, like, just to start out, uh, was from Atlas Obscura. Atlas has, you're interested in cemeteries, Atlas Obscura is, like, the source. Like, they have so many interesting cemetery, gravestone, um, death and food topics. Uh, and so the two that are in Israel, Atlas has actually done uh, stories on, which is incredible. Oh, that's awesome. And is there somewhere in the U.S. where they tend to be concentrated, like more in the Midwest or on the West Coast or East Coast? Or are they pretty spread out so far? Unfortunately, just because I want to visit them all, they are very spread out. <laughs> yeah. um, they're like, they range from Nome, Alaska. There's two in California. There's one in Washington State. Um, kind of in the middle, you know, there's one in Utah. There's two in Iowa two in Arkansas, one in Louisiana, two in New York. I mean, like, truly, they are all over the map. Yeah, you need to have an active map that kind of shows. I'm speaking to the Oregon um, Cemetery Commission next week, and I was planning on putting a plug out there like, hey, anybody know of any, uh, you know, recipes on in your cemetery? So perhaps that'll be fruitful and lead to some new uh, sites for you to visit. Yeah, thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, because I'm actually not aware of any in Oregon, which would be incredible. Yeah, well, there's so many cemeteries out there, like, yeah. you know, old ones, new ones, you know, so it, it would be hard to, to get a comprehensive look in just a, a year. <laughs> and this is Underground History on the Jefferson Exchange, and you can find us online at jeffnet.org or subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher, Pandora, or Spotify. Now we can move... I I guess into kind of more the you know what makes a good headstone recipe um you know i'm sure a lot of people are are thinking about this now gosh what would i put on mine you know what kind of you know have you been learning kind of what works you've been actually experimenting and, and like we talked about the fudge some of them are a little bit challenging but um <laughs> what what ones have like worked the best the recipes you've made so far i mean i guess on different levels like the they've all been good on different ways like the ones that i've made the most frequently i love the spritz cookie one which I definitely, I, I made it very incorrectly the first time because there weren't instructions and I didn't know what a spritz cookie was. So I basically made it like a sugar cookie. And then it was because of TikTok, like in the comments where like all these people weighed in, they're like, oh my gosh, my grandmother makes these or my mom makes these and you're supposed to use a cookie press. And so learning about the cookie press and like how that whole function works. Um, the snickerdoodle cookies that are in California from the grave of Annabelle Gunderson are super good. Like they make a lot of cookies. They are really tasty. Um, so, like, that one's, like, probably the snickerdoodle ones have been one of the easiest to just casually adapt and, like, bring to, like, gatherings and, like, family events and things like that. I would say, like, I mean, it's been interesting hearing how people picked a particular recipe. Like, even for the case of the woman in Iowa, uh, she uh, was really, like, she had this, like, emotional connection to this cheese dip recipe because she worked at a restaurant, and that was where she met her husband. And so she would, like, serve it at events, but it was also like this connection with her and her loved one. And so it seems to be whatever, like 
I, of all places, I was hearing Ina Garten talking about this, and she was like, now would I pick my most popular recipe or would I pick the one that I have the most sentimental attachment to? Because um, there's two different recipes. So for some people, it's like, what do people know me for versus like, oh, what's something that like I have a lot of sentimental connection to or like I want to be known for this recipe. Um, and I think a lot of people pick cookies and baked goods because the instructions can be a little bit more limited. Like this isn't a lasagna recipe that like needs tons and tons of instruction. Um, so I would almost say like the ease of writing it all down has also played into it. Yeah, and I love that because people, you know, they do pass recipes down. I've got some for my grandmas and stuff like that. But it's it's such a cool conversation to have with this person. And I mean, these these people that have these headstones, like little do they know they're part of this larger national conversation right now, which is really mm. interesting. And and you have been able to find the families and kind of talk to the families in a lot of instances as well. Yeah, I mean, so in the beginning, it was just people who had commented on TikTok. Like some people were like, "That's my grandmother," or. Uh, you know, that's my loved one. I flew to New York to meet with Naomi's family. So they now live in Pennsylvania and they all drove up and we went to her gravestone and just, you know, got to visit her. And then we went and cooked her spritz cookie recipe, which I learned I'd been making very incorrectly, like <laughs> everything from the temperature to like the techniques. And so like they even have her, um, like the recipe instructions that she would refer to, like in a little plastic bag and her, her, I guess now great grandson is like the resident cookie maker in the family. Um, but there's definitely more out there. Like the one in New Alaska, I don't even know the name of the person. Someone on a blog had posted these no bit cookies. So I would love to learn more about truly all of these people. Like if, if family members wanted to cook with me, I think that would be a goal in the next few years of like whatever people would be comfortable with. Yeah. Um, because yeah, like it's, it's such a beautiful way to remember like, yeah, I don't know. It's just there's something about food that's like just so tangible and it's it's very cool. Yeah. And that's, you know, kind of like I, I was thinking about like where this this project has taken you. You said you started. It's basically a homework assignment. And now it's like, you know, probably shaping the trajectory of your career and stuff. And, <laughs> and I mean, are you thinking like where do where do I go from here? Like a book, a website or like you said, you know, cooking with the families and stuff like that. Like how is this informing like the way you're kind of thinking about your future as an archivist? Yeah, I think I definitely, my, I feel like last year was very, like, it was just kind of a year of awareness of, like, oh, I think there's only two of these. Oh, there's 20 of them um, kind of by the end of the year. And so going into this year, I think I would like to travel to all of them. Um, if family members would be open to meeting and cooking together, I think that would be incredible. Um, but also if they're, if they're like, <laughs> this is its own thing, um, uh, allowing them that too. Uh, I think like a book could be really interesting. A lot of people have commented asking about it, just like a book collection. Not everyone is on TikTok or on social media. Um, I would definitely want to check with the families first to make sure like comfort levels and like, you know, their feelings on it. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I keep thinking that this project will end once I stop finding them, but new ones keep coming out. Um, and yeah, in the meantime, I think like learning about like funeral foods and things like that is like another additional direction I might go into. Yeah. And one of the things I love about this, too, is, um, you know, you're finding these outdoor archives. So as archaeologists, we are mm -hmm. always working with, you know, the archives in the outdoors and usually underground. But here you have this whole new data set that a lot of people haven't thought about in this way. And so I think that's um, that's really cool. Is that something, you know, do you have you been thinking about it that way? Yeah, completely. So, I mean, so this whole, I can, in addition to it being for the for, for school, um, I interned at Congressional Cemetery 
as with their digital archives. And I think I'd never really thought about how precious and important cemetery archives are. And this even comes at a time where, at least in the D.C. area, a lot of cemeteries are at risk. Like, you know, they just get bulldozed over if they don't know who owns different plots of land, things like that. And so there's been a lot of, particularly for, like, minority communities, cemeteries that have been lost and their archives on top of that. And so uh, they're really precious, and they say so much about a community, people who are buried there. Um, someone at Congressional called cemeteries, like, outdoor museums, which I think is really beautiful. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's so much to dig into cemetery archives itself. There's just so much information to uncover. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Like, um, one of the things this highlights is how these are, you know, living heritage, like spaces Mm -hmm. um, that people kind of maybe think are like historical or like irrelevant. But here's this way that these are really engaging and and relevant and um, have tangible connections to the people that are living today and, and visiting them. And I think that's so cool. Are there other things you've seen when you're visiting these cemeteries that you're like, okay, that's another rabbit hole that I, I want to go down at some point, but I don't have time yet. I'm still making, trying to perfect this fudge. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh gosh, there are so many different things. I mean, um, I got connected with this Arkansas um, historian and she's been interested in food, anything food related on cemetery gravestones. Um, so she was the one who, uh, let me know about the two. There's two sugar cookie recipes, and she gave me the contact information for Peggy Neal. Uh, but she, in general, is like, there are so many food-adjacent things on Gravestones of, like, people, like, there's someone with, like, marshmallow, some, like, sort of, like, marshmallow thing on theirs, or, like, references to, like, Diet Coke. They like, love Diet oh, Coke. Really? And, like, there's just, oh, yeah, there's, like, so many, like, food. I think it was, yeah, whatever was the important thing to these people in life. Um, I like, recently moved to California, and so I live right next to Hollywood Forever Cemetery, And boy, is that there are so many rabbit holes you could go down of like people who love dogs. And so they have dog statues all over their gravestone or, um, you know, movie related ones. Or um, there's this like a number of people who have really unusual inventions. And so they have like pictures of their invention on their gravestone. Um, So, so yeah, the sky's the limit. And for what pick your poison kind of (laughs) with it. Yeah. And, you know, now with like the mapping technology, you could make like these interactive maps of cemeteries. So I know a lot of times people, Mm -hmm. especially in Hollywood, are like, I want to see the famous people. Um, But you could like have this this like tour where you're like, here's the food ones and here's the whatever. It seems like such a cool spot to engage and and kind of like document. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what we were doing at Congressional was we have these kind of like we had written out like certain whatever the group was that you're looking for like we had like a civil rights uh list of people who were like big activists in different areas and so we had like a google arts and culture like web page for that and you could click to where all the gravestones were and like in theory we're supposed to be all geolocated congressional is very experimental and like apps and data mapping so you could like go on a walking tour using these like digital maps uh and even honestly find a grave is kind of cool for that it might not be like by interest or like category but like a lot of finder graves, if you go to them, you find the person. Um, it, some of them give you like the geo-coordinates for where that exact gravestone is. So, like, yeah, there's so much digital options for just learning about people. Yeah, and I think, too, like, the more your data set grows, which I'm assuming it will, then, mm. you know, different, you know, uh, researchers could even look at patterns of, like, you know, what kind of recipes are the most precious in different parts of the state and how does that tie in with like culture? And, you know, as the archaeologist, I'm just like, this is so much data because we usually, (laughs) you know, we have to like be happy with like, we found chicken bones from dinner. We never find uh, archaeological remnants of cookies or fudge, (laughs) you know, so we have to really rely on other ways of like tracking that down. And we know that sweet things have always kind of been 
um, mm. you know, important and, you know, like a treat. So this is such a cool way to document that. Yeah. And, you know, so, yeah, are, does your is your day job now doing this kind of stuff or are you like in actual archives and, and have to not hang out in cemeteries all day now? <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, wouldn't that be the dream? Yeah. Um, no, I work at the Women's Center for UCLA. Um, so I do, I mean, I do like web stuff. Um, I do love digital storytelling. Like that's been, I think, a clear, I, that's kind of even my entry point to like library and archives in general was I did, I was a digital manager at the National Building Museum in D.C. and was like, oh my gosh, like this is so fun. So I was coming at it from like the communication side, but I was like, I want to get like in the data. Like this is super cool. Like when you can really get like, you know, make, do like data mapping and things like that. So that's kind of where I started the program in general. And then, yeah, so now I work at the Women's Center, but I'm also a part-time librarian, um, the digital librarian at the American Jewish University, which has been very helpful because for the two gravestones uh, in Israel, they were in Hebrew. So the other librarians very kindly translated them for me so I could actually cook those recipes. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, one other thing I was thinking about, too, is uh, when people think about archives and libraries, I mean, I spend a lot of time in libraries, and I know librarians are just the coolest, but people probably don't usually think about TikTok being a tool to, like, engage mm-hmm. people in this kind of history and documentation and, like, the reason why it's so important that we have people, you know, documenting all the things about the world around us. So, I mean, has that kind of changed the way you think about social media and TikTok and stuff and, and the power that it can bring to projects? Oh, my gosh, absolutely. I mean, like, I think that's why my program had a, it was an optional class for sure, but um, the power of TikTok, I've never, I mean, I've worked in social media for about a decade now, um, and I've never seen anything like this platform. I mean, who knows, it might get also banned and, you know, for whatever reason, <laughs> data privacy aside. Um, but it, for me, it's given me this, like, huge community of cemetery enthusiasts who I think also, like, I think they were, they were always there. But between TikTok and, of course, the pandemic, of we all became so, like, digitally connected. Uh, and so this huge group of people, it feels like, because me included, grew out of this. And it, it's been amazing. So, I, yeah, I mean, I feel like if people who are interested, it's definitely worth exploring uh, whatever your thing is. Um, if people are welcome to reach out to me on Instagram as well, if they have questions about, like, going viral in TikTok, because that's kind of what the class is for. But I've noticed <laughs> that a lot of libraries have gone onto it because it's a really easy way to like quickly communicate resources, um, things that you need to advocate for. And yeah, it's truly, I have so much fun with it. It's it's really incredible with the power of it. Yeah, that is so cool. I, I do Instagram and Facebook, but I haven't um, branched into TikTok yet. But we have a lot of fun stuff on archaeological sites, so maybe we should think about that. Hey, but... <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Archaeology, TikTok, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's the best way for people to reach out to you if they found a headstone that they want to share? Is that through like Instagram or TikTok or, or what's the best way to, to let you know? Yeah, for sure. So um, TikTok actually just re- used to be you couldn't message people if they didn't follow you back on TikTok. So I generally said Instagram. If you follow me, Ghostly Archive on Instagram or TikTok now, um, you can send me a message. I also have a link tree there, which people can email me. So people have been kind of reaching out in all different ways. Um, of course, if they have any food relating gravestones or even an interesting gravestone that they would recommend, um, I just I love to hear about all of it. Yeah. And wouldn't it be cool to find like, I guess the next thing is like, is there a gravestone like shaped like a cookie or something? Oh, like- my gosh, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I now get I get so many bizarre people like gravestone stories. Like there's this woman who um, and I think she's buried in Mexico who her gravestone looks like a 
a male anatomy piece and <laughs> people keep I've been sent this article like 50 times now like have you seen this one and I'm like I both hate and love that I am now the person who gets this article <laughs> um, but honestly it's, it's truly it's so cool to see all the different ways that people are choosing to be memorialized that's it's a really right. cool thing and how cool that you're listening and watching and, and documenting that for everybody so that's awesome gosh thank you so much Rosie for joining us today um, I've, I've just had so much fun talking to you and I um, look forward to making another attempt at that fudge and seeing if I can't do a little bit better uh, good luck to us both <laughs> yeah so, so yeah so we we will follow you on Instagram and thank you so much. And this is Underground History on the Jefferson Exchange and you can find us online at jeffnet.org. And thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.